Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into the WEI Celtics podcast trade deadline edition. That's right. Nothing happened. Isn't it awesome, Jared? Isn't it fun? This podcast is so worthwhile, but we got plenty to talk about still. Mostly about future plans for Danny Ainge and Mike Zarin in the Celtics front office. And then looking at a a lot of minor trades that I felt at least made some statements about the value of a first-round pick. And why does nobody like Tobias Harris in the NBA? You know what was definitely not worthwhile? The past 72 hours I spent on Twitter just reading absolute BS rumors and... Things that really were not valid at all, or they could have been valid, but they're not likely to happen. And it's just basically it was a masturbatory effort for all of NBA Twitter just to get excited. It was just like kind of like a unifying event. But you still got off, right? So it was worth it in the end. Oh, I got off. <laughs> I actually gained 30 followers after one tweet just tweeting absolute nonsense. And it just goes to show you that like people are fiending for a rumor at NBA trade deadline. And this year, it, it didn't pay off. The Celtics do nothing. Which... It- I think is, uh, in the long run, will probably end up being a good thing for them. Not trying to force a deal for an expiring uh, Dwight Howard or Al Horford or whatever the other crazy deals are out there. So what do you th- do you think this was a good move standing pat at the deadline? Is, I guess is the basic question. Well, yeah, because the Celtics, because they're going to have enough cap room to pursue pretty much any free agent they want this summer, and they still have a ton of trade assets they can use. Like The only, trade a- the only I think, trade asset of value that they didn't use here is David Lee's contract, which whatever, they don't have to use that. Uh, it was Jared Solinger, I'd say. is the only player that's a restricted free agent that a team would really want to get that qualifying offer on him to be able to try to retain him. Because Tyler Zeller's market is probably going to be a little deflated because of how little he's played this year. And Solinger, while at this point we feel like he's plateaued for the most part, he's just a, he's just a solid NBA player right now. He's someone that is going to have a competitive free, a restricted free agent market, especially because a lot of teams are going to be able to pursue a player that they really want and then still be able to make a competitive offer for Solinger. But all those draft picks, they still have plenty of time. They can trade them during the offseason. They can trade them on draft night. We know that they're not going to keep all five of those picks, and that was something that, that you asked them about. We should hear what Danny had to say. Um, you have nine players who are currently uh, have guaranteed contracts for next season. Um, given that roster space, and that, um, are you comfortable uh, making all three of your first-round draft picks this year? Yes, we are comfortable doing that. And but you know, there's again, we have a long time before that, before then, and we have other options to move move picks for other things. It's not like right now the the trading world has ended. <laughs> We'll have other opportunities between now and the draft to move picks, consolidate picks, trade for future picks, or 
uh, as we study the players more in the draft over these next few months, we will have a better idea of, of who those players are and what numbers they'll be available at. Jared Weiss, CLNS Radio. Danny, do you feel like this summer is the point where you need to transition from accumulating assets to cashing in on assets? Well, I mean, I feel like we're at that stage now, um, and maybe even and maybe even last draft um, of trying to trying to do something. But you know, we're trying to make good decisions and. I think that we made good decisions at this time this year, and we'll, I think that you're right. That would be nice to cash in on some of the <clears throat> the assets that we have, and and it might be that we take we we draft our three first round draft picks. That may be the best assets that, that are available to us, depending on how good the draft is and what we can get, and depending on what other offers are there. How much were you asked about the Brooklyn pick, and how tempted were you to? Offer that, um, Gary. I think that I think that everybody knows that you know there, there's what the value of those picks are, um, you know, and I think that everybody in the league would like to have a pick in the top echelon of the draft, but uh, there certainly is players that would be worth trading a, an unknown draft pick for um, right now and so we did have some discussion in regard to that and there's some players that did get our attention and and um, some that did not get our attention in regarding that pick so yeah so they've got a lot to maneuver with uh, especially it's probably going to happen on draft night so they have a ton of draft picks to use here up in this upcoming draft now the Brooklyn pick, unless they're going to trade it for a great player, they're going to use it, and it's probably going to be a top five, top six pick. So after that, they're looking at a couple mid to late first round draft picks. They could use those to get players to put overseas, draft and stash them, have a Nikola Mirotic situation when they're in the middle of building up their dynasty. Or they could just consolidate those down, move up in the draft or trade, whatever. But... The second round picks are the ones that I'm interested in because those are ones where they can basically they, – they have some early second round picks that they can use. They can pick up a guy that they can just keep for one year. They can use him to kind of fill the roster. So that's where if they're making a lot of trades, they probably want to hold on to one of those early second round picks and you have like a Jordan Mickey type player that you can get there. But they're going to have to do something with these picks because I just don't see them – taking three or four draft and stash guys and keeping them overseas, especially where they already have a few of those kind of guys. That was the point of my question to Ainge is that I just they can't make all three of those selections, and I think it puts them at kind of a worse trading position because other teams know that they have to make a move. He's Danny Ainge can say all he wants that they feel fine drafting those three players, but at some point other GMs are going to know Danny. We know you need to move this pick, so I it could be part of a package for another superstar or when one becomes available. And that's kind of the Celtic strategy is, well, we're just going to keep punting until that superstar becomes available, whether it's Boogie Cousins or Blake Griffin. But what happens if it's just that trade never happened, like that opportunity never arises and they just have a bunch of draft picks? They're going to have a, a lot of free uh, money and free agency this summer. So is every other team in the league. 
Are they going to be able to track a top-tier free agent? Is there a possibility that we're they're just waiting and waiting for this right moment, but that right moment's never just going to occur naturally, that they uh, might actually waste some of these assets to kind of like force the moment to happen? Well, so the thing is, what makes their position so good is that they're not on a tight timeline with the guy, the core guys on the roster because all their crucial players are in their mid twenties or even early twenties. So they're not they're and they're all pretty much all locked in long term. So there's no one on this roster that you're thinking we got to try to we got to try to move things along here. I say Brad Stevens is probably the one with the shortest uh, with, with it's kind of the closest to potentially being available. Danny Ainge should give him a ten year contract for a hundred million dollars today and just lock that down. He already but, has the longest contract in the history true. of coaches. But so it, it can't it couldn't possibly be long enough for him. Can they put the infinity symbol under years for uh, for the contract line? Brad Stevens doesn't deal with uh, concepts like infinity. He's he a strictly binary fellow. No irrational numbers with uh, with him. God no. But um, but getting back on track here, getting back on the hype train, I should say. They can, I'd say, have a two-year window here where they can continue to kind of make margin. They can make smaller efforts to kind of cash in on assets one at a time here, the way that they started doing last year with that Isaiah Thomas trade, or the way they did it with the Jay Crowder trade. Notice how I didn't say Rajon Rondo trade there. That is definitely Ooh. that is a Jay Crowder trade right now, um, especially after Shane Battier, the ultimate glue guy, put Jay Crowder as one of his top five glue guys in the NBA. That was a pretty high honor for Jay Crowder. And he was on uh, SB Nation's, like, top non-stars in the NBA. Um, They did a whole list of that. But, yeah, I think the problem is they can make those improvement on the margins. But, again, Danny Ainge is constantly talking about stars, stars, stars. And you still – you're going to need that to pull the trigger on that deal eventually. And I'm just – I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but you can see a situation where it's just – it doesn't present itself, and they just end up with a team similar to the one they have now where they're not going to be a title contender, but they're going to be basically the Atlanta Hawks of the past decade, never good enough to actually make the finals but just con- contending every year, and that's just not where you want to be. We about titles in this town. That's not where you want to be. Is it? Do they call it title town? Is that what they call it here in Boston? I think a few people have called it title town, but um, I'm not sure. But so – I mean, the thing is, comparing it to Atlanta, Atlanta had a lot of older players. And they had to – I thought Atlanta did an incredible job of rebuilding to take that team that was that Joe Johnson-based and Josh Smith-based team. And the last two years, they've been really good. And and I think a loss amidst all these Al Horford trade rumors was the fact that they're still a really good team and don't need to make a trade. And they pretty much stood pat there. They cycled through who their backup point guard was today. But that was it. The Hawks are still a good team. They're still I think they're still going to be a contender. But – with the Celtics this year, they've got two of the greatest teams in NBA history on the other side in the Western Conference. So it's not like it's not like in, Cle- in Cleveland as much as they struggled. We saw what they did last year without their two All Stars. So they're gonna they're absolutely gonna be contending for the title this year as as a legitimate even contender for the title. So it's not like this year they could have made that move to go all in. I I don't think Demarcus Cousins this year would have gotten them past Cleveland. But, hey, I mean, getting there and competing against Cleveland in the conference finals is pretty valuable in itself. But they, it, it sounds like if they were – I mean, there were no reports of talks with Sacramento, but there were plenty of with Atlanta and with Houston. And there just – there wasn't – the demands were way too high, especially with uh, the Dwight Howard trade, that there was just no possible reason to do that because – they can still make a pretty solid run. They could even make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals anyway this year. They'd probably get crushed by the Cavaliers. But 
they, they can get to pretty much the same place this year without making those deals. And they are looking at this summer being the summer where they just they they make a lot of consolidation and they get something bigger. And I mean, Danny can say what he wants to the question that I asked him there about whether he feels like they're really making that consolidation move to make that big splash. But he he basically is pushing them to the deadline of when they have to do it because they have so many they're kind of peaking asset wise this summer. And if you're going to make that move, you have to do it when you're at your peak level of asset value. Your draft picks are the most valuable on draft night because that's when you can literally, you don't have to wait, you can use them right away. And teams get jumpy. Are are they that valuable on draft night? Because if we go back to last year's draft, they offered four first-round picks for Justice Winslow, and sometimes teams will just get locked in on Frank the Tank Kaminsky and... Like refuse to actually do anything on draft day. So well, that's that's what I'm saying. Is so on draft night that number ten or number nine, number ten pick that night or number nine because it was uh, Charlie's pick. That number nine pick that night was more valuable than four draft picks because it was that night. But they don't have anything like a number nine pick. They're going to have the, the Dallas pick, which is another mid rounder in their own pick, which is probably going to be in the twenties. Yeah, they're both. Do they have value? Are those have value? A top ten pick, I would argue, does, but. Mid-round picks, we saw people just throwing them away uh, at this deadline for Markeith Morris. So, I don't know... Which is unforgivable. I mean, anytime you can bring a disgruntled, violent guy to your team, I think you do it, but that's Who just Who stormed me. off in the most beautiful of fashions by tripping over a speed bump on his hoverboard. And then just keep, kept walking, not even thinking about turning back to pick it up because he's got his boy to take care of that for him. That's cool that you have your own hoverboard guy, that's, but that's the yeah. only way you can handle that situation. That's a very baller if move. If you fall off your hoverboard, you do not go back to pick up your hoverboard. You're done. You should just buy a new hoverboard. That hoverboard's no longer yours. I would argue that Markeith Morris didn't even notice he was on a hoverboard. He was just hovering anyway because he got traded out of Phoenix. I would argue that the hoverboard is a metaphor for his time with the Suns, a bumpy ride that he's leaving in his past. And one in which he thought he had foreign momentum, but in the end had no control because Marcus got traded away. Yeah, that's kind of weird. We've talked about the weird twin stuff going on, but let's get a bit into the deadline and the moves that actually did happen. Do you think this uh, trade for Marquise Morris makes the Wizards uh, a better team? Do you think it guarantees them a playoff spot? Right now they're um, the 10th seed, I think two games back of the 8th seed. It does not guarantee them a playoff spot. No, I mean, there, There's no way to guarantee a playoff spot for the way that they've been playing so far. Markeith is an improvement over Chris Humphreys. I am assuming or expecting that Markeith is going to play a lot better now that he's in a new place. Where he's, I mean, I assume he wants to be there. He's going to be playing with John Wall, so his life is going to be a lot more fun than it was playing with uh, not Eric Bledsoe's knee, so with Brandon Knight for the most part. Um, he's, it's a good place for him to be, frankly, especially next to Martian Gortat, who's a big defensive center. It's a good place for him to be. The fact that they traded Chris Humphreys and that deal really opens up the spot for him. There's, it's very clear that that power forward spot is there for him to play. Nene, I, I assume he's going to start, and Nene is going to come off the bench. So it's a good situation for him, and he's play, he's still playing for a contract. He's still playing for more money coming up soon. So he's got a re, he's got a good chance to reestablish himself. He's in a place where he doesn't have any BS grudges to hold against the front office, who who for some crazy reason split those two apart after they committed assault in front of like 50 people 
God forbid. Maybe that was their thinking is like, let's get these two troublemakers away from each other. Yeah. But I think that's a good point about new team and the Wizards are going to benefit just by being not the Suns. I mean, They're not go- the team who traded him away. So now it could just be he has an opportunity to play well. We saw him once Jeff Hornacek was fired just go off for an amazing game. So clearly he still has some um, something to prove and some ability left in there. So I do think it's going to improve the Wizards. Uh, I think Jared Dudley, the master of mm-hmm. vet, is going to take him under his wing and just uh, guide him into a, a brilliant season. I think it actually does make the, the Wizards a... I think it, it obviously doesn't guarantee him a playoff spot, but definitely gives him a better chance. And that's something they need to do in the summer of Durant if they have any chances of wanting to sign him. And I mean, don't forget, look at what Marcus Morris did when he left. And also, they didn't they play together in 12-13 in Phoenix? So... They've got some familiar uh, Dudley and uh, Markeith, so they got some familiarity there. So I mean, that's that could be the guy that sets them straight. And I feel like Dudley's the kind of guy that will smack him across the face if an actually no Gortat's the guy that will smack him across the face if an, if uh, anything goes wrong. My favorite Gortat story is apparently he just drives like 130 miles an hour while driving around Poland, which just seems like a good time. If I could be anywhere in this world. It would be in a the passenger seat of Marcin Gortat's car driving around Poland. But let's talk about the other Morris brother and his team. They acquired Toby Harris and Dante Matuhunis. I love how you call him Toby Harris. He ain't I mean, Tobias that, anymore. He's Toby. His name is Toby. Um, they gave up Brandon Jennings and Ursan Ilyasova. Didn't have to give up a draft pick for Tobias Harris. Do you think the those acquisitions make the Pistons... A, de- uh, a playoff squadron. I mean, they already were a squadron that would be in the a playoffs. A guaranteed playoff squadron. So, yeah. I mean, I they're better getting Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris, for whatever his limitations may be, they're covered up significantly by having KCP next to him, who's a really active wing defender, having Andre Drummond behind him. That's going to cover up a lot of the issues. Um, they need perimeter shooting, and the issue with Harris has always been that he takes more perimeter shots than he should, but... Whatever it's it's this Pistons team wants him to take those shots, so take him anyway. And he's he seems like a great fit to play with SVG, and he works in that four that three slash four spot for them so well. And then Monte Yunus makes up for a lot of what they lose with Ilyasova. Ilyasova is a tougher rebounder and more of a banger, but Monte Yunus is a you know is a skilled big man that can stretch it out, and he's got a lot of length. He's hurt, but he's he's generally available to play. Just he's trying to work himself back from a back injury. So the, the Pistons come out of this looking better. Brandon Jennings is a guy that wasn't going to start there anymore. They gave the reins to Reggie Jackson, and Jennings is recovering from his injury, but he was hurt and. He was playing, I'd say, decently off the bench, but he wasn't really consistent yet. And now they, you know, they have Stanley Johnson and Marcus Morris working in that rotation there with Tobias Harris. They've got a ton of firepower there. They're a really good deep team, and this year they might be good. Next year, I think they're going to be really good. And I think the interesting move, and it's kind of the the anti Celtics move, is with uh, Tobias Harris signing that contract last year. This is basically. It's similar to a free agent signing. It's getting um, a below market deal when they're probably not or weren't going to be able to sign any free agents in this offseason. So it's getting a guy under team control for the next three years, and they gave basically gave up two expiring contracts. I don't know what the Orlando Magic are thinking. Apparently, they're trying to free up cap room so they can go after their own free agents. But they basically just gave away Tobias Harris for the rest of Brandon Jennings this year and then a year and a half of Ilyasova. I mean, they, they hit the reset button on that Harris deal. They did the deal last year after drafting Mario Hazonia. And now they look at it this year and they're thinking, all right, we like Harris, but we're paying him too much. 
We've got Hazonia making a quarter of what Harris makes, and we rather play him. And you gotta you gotta take the brick wall away from Hazonia and just let him unleash because that dude is awesome to watch. He's super aggressive, and he provides the kind of swagger that I think that team needs. He's that cocky. I'd say Evan Turner type that the team needs to just kind of be that guy. Well, when he was in yeah. Boston, Evan Turner absolutely dominated in the post and actually kind of took that swagger away. But another person that opens it up for is Aaron Gordon. It just like they had too many young players and it just allows them to kind of evenly distribute minutes. And it, it reminds me of when you play, like do a franchise in 2K and there's a bunch of roles and then players are unhappy with their roles. So they start playing worse. So you have to trade some away. That's just like it's just like you needed to distribute the minutes more to to all the players. So I, in that sense, I can see their reasoning, but I just think that makes them worse for this year. But maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they realize they weren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, they've been tail sliding, so they figured they might as well make something happen. And the the fact is that Hazonia and Gordon are going to be their starting threes and fours for the next decade if they play this right. So and Gordon, I mean, forget about the the dunk contest. He has shown in game how dominant he could be. He could be like a more explosive Sean Marion type of player. And th- he's going to be huge for them. And then they put him next to Vucevic. I think they balance each other out pretty well with their with their play types and their defensive capabilities. So that team is a well-balanced team once you take once you take Harris out of the starting lineup and give them time to mature. And then, yeah, they want to be a free agent player. Um, if there's somebody that wants a ton of money and they're they're the team that's in position to give more money than anybody else and max out somebody that wants to be maxed out. And they got the the Florida with their tax laws and all that stuff. And everyone loves Orlando. People yep. just are dying and dying to live in Orlando. But they made one other deal, which I wanted to ask you about, was trading uh, Sole Moonfry um, to the Cavaliers um, for some random other stuff, but what do you think Channing Fry is going to bring any value to LeBron's squadron? It's a great pickup for Cleveland. They need more three-point shooting. They get a guy that fits that bill perfectly. He hasn't been playing that well in Orlando. It didn't fit as well as it did in Phoenix, but he's he's with LeBron now. He's basically going to be similar to like what James Jones and Mike Miller were in those Miami years. He's going to be a guy that's long enough to guard bigger guys and then stand in the, on the elbow and shoot threes. And that's really all they need from him. And they got Tristan Thompson and Timothy Mozgov, who it sounds like was being shot pretty hard uh, in the last week. But they've got those guys to handle being the big, tough guys. They just need Channing Fry to stand in the corner, smile, catch a pass, and shoot it. He, on the offensive end, my concern about Channing Fry is, is are you really going to play him uh, down the like no. the stretch of a game? We saw Kevin Love basically just get embarrassed when they played the Warriors. It's not like Channing Fry is going to be able to play on the perimeter or guard or switch and pick and rolls like that. I can see that they needed more outside shooting, but I don't I don't think this necessarily puts the Cavs over the edge or over the top. It's a nice move and but I don't think it's like the be all end all. Well, not to denigrate your question, but nobody can handle the Warriors because the Warriors are pretty much the only team that can do what they can do. So, although although I think Tristan Thompson tried against them and he did a decent job, but they're not. I mean, there's there's not really a guy that's available for trade out there that's going to be able to handle that. Oh yeah, you don't think Jeff Green and the Los Angeles Clippers <laughs> are going to be able to handle the Warriors? Damn, that was a good segue. That was worth a first round pick. First round pick. The Memphis Grizzlies are going to be a hot mess, but that's going to be entertaining. But what do you think about Doc Rivers reuniting with everyone's favorite sullen character, Jeff Green? So my theory on Doc has been that when he was in Boston, he watched so many late first-round picks turn into complete shit. So many um, 
Jawan Johnsons, J.R. Giddens, those kind of guys. That he was Gerald like, Green, Fab Mello. Well, Gerald Green, to his credit, was actually pretty good for a while and was the kicker that got them KG in that KG trade. So he served this purpose. But so I think Doc Rivers just hates late first round picks and he doesn't want them because he keeps trading away these picks. And we saw it again where they get they get rid of Lance Stevenson, which, which they wanted. They get Jeff Green and they give up a twenty a protected till twenty nineteen basically draft or it's a twenty nineteen protected draft pick. It seems I'm I'm imagining the protection is going to mirror the pick that the Grizzlies sent to the Celtics. That's kind of the same setup there. We haven't heard the full uh, protection details as of recording here, but basically what it does is it gives them Jeff Green who's under under contract and. It gives them a runner that can dunk the ball and shoot the ball. And I think they feel like they're missing Jared Dudley a lot. And Paul Pierce has just not been they, – they need someone with the energy to kind of counter what Paul Pierce is going to be able to give to them as far as being a passer and a shooter. They need someone that can just be really athletic. Lance Stevenson wasn't doing that for them. Jeff Green will do that for them. Everybody that listens to this podcast I think is well aware of Jeff Green's limitations and consistency issues. But he is a he's a – fair fit to have there in, in La La Land, but just it does it just doesn't make sense for me to give up another first round pick to get him. I really like the move because after watching that Celtics Clippers game last week, they were starting Luke Richard Mabamute. And all they needed was a guy to stand in the corner who could actually make that shot. There were so many times when both Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart were coming off Mabamute to go after JJ Redick. So just the idea of a Chris Paul, DeAndre pick and roll when you have J.J. Redick, Pierce, and Green on the wings, that seems like a, a dangerous uh, team to play against. So I, it's definitely an upgrade on the roster. I don't think it necessarily, again, puts the Clippers into that upper echelon of teams in the West, but I think it makes their team better. And they've had, they've never beaten the Warriors re- of recently, but they've played them well. So I think it. Which Doc Rivers will mention every single time he's asked about it. Hey, we always beat the Clippers. He says we're the last team to beat the Warriors. Yeah. He's really proud of that one. This current five-man starting rotation of Clippers has never lost to the Warriors in the playoffs. <laughs> and that's only because Kendrick Perkins is injured. Absolutely. So with that move, that Jeff Green trade is like a major all-in move. That's like pushing, that's pushing chips that you're going to earn one day in the future into the table because they are – they know that Blake Griffin is going to be out till right near the playoffs, and then there's a suspension. So they're basically saying they're basically saying we're going to give up a future first round pick just to have Jeff Green to hope that when Blake comes back, we can beat the team that might break the record for the win for most wins in the season, and a San Antonio team that's pretty much right there as well. And maybe the Thunder. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. I think given their timeline, I don't think. They're set up right now to be very good in three years, but so why not go all in? It's too bad they couldn't get anything better. But well, and the thing is, and you can't ever forget this: is that you can't just in in sports in business you don't give up because you think there's a greater competitor out there because you never know what can happen. Golden State could either not perform well or they can get hurt. Or then... uh, Jeff Galuli comes and slams um, Steph Curry's knee and you got a whole different basketball exactly. season. So so obviously the Clippers are right to try to make that move. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. And you, and you shouldn't say it's crazy because they're never going to beat the Warriors. We have no idea what can happen. Guys get hurt all the time. The Thunder, it looked like we're going to be front runners to win the title for like four years in a row and every single year Durant or Westbrook or Ibaka got hurt. So you never know what's going to happen. All right, let's... 
uh, speaking of never knowing what's going to happen, let's make some predictions for the rest of the season for the, your, your local hometown five or hometown 15. I don't know how you would say that. Um, but the Celtics right now are, I believe, 32 and 23. If my uh, calculations are correct, that means they have 27 games left to go. Do you think this team can win 50 games? There's all the projections at the start of the year, the BPI, the 538. A lot of people picked over uh, 50 wins. Right now, they'd have to go 18 and 9 in the remaining 27 games to do it. Is that a possibility? We're, we have the schedule here in front of us. Uh, I don't know at this point. I think they're going to be right on the border, but do you think they can win 18 of their last 27? I mean, you look at March, there were away games. They got Cleveland, Indiana, Toronto, ooh, Philadelphia. Um, they go to see the Clippers. They go to Portland. They go to Golden State. And then they go to Atlanta. Those are all really hard games to win. They really are. Then they also um, have uh, Oklahoma City Thunder at home, Portland at home. They're not saying that they're going to absolutely lose all of these games, but they're just tough games. Memphis, they play Toronto Houston. twice. They play Miami twice. They play Milwaukee, and apparently they can't stop Greg Monroe. It's not a guarantee, but then if you kind of drop that down and say, well, what if they go, let's say, 16 and 11 or 14 and 13? 14 and 13 would feel like a disappointment for this team. So it feels like 46 to four or to 50 wins is the most realistic possibility. And I think they can uh, win 50, but right now Kelly Olynyk's out for the next couple of weeks, as Danny Ainge said in his press conference today. Do you think that's going to have a big impact on kind of the, the rotation moving forward over these next games where they're on this West Coast swing? It will. I mean, we saw that since Elena got hurt, Jonas Jarebko has been playing more. He's been kind of running the same kind of sets and uh, shooting from the same spots that Olenek has. Uh, and I think free Jordan Mickey era is finally going to be here. I can't imagine he's not going to get some minutes with Olenek down and with David Lee potentially being bought out by uh, Saturday, depending on what happens with his agent there. So there's going to be playing time open up for Tyler Zeller and Jordan Mickey. So we'll see what happens there. The Celtics, they've been playing so well lately. They've had a relatively light schedule. They haven't they haven't had a ton of grinders uh, where they've had four and five, stuff like that. They have that coming up here out of the All-Star break where they're going to play a ton of games. They got, I think it's they're playing a home game every other night for like four, four games in a row starting next week. So they're, they're going to they're gonna be put to the test here where they come out cold out of the All-Star break and go on a marathon. And if they can survive that, they're, they're in pretty good shape. I think the big question for them is they've gotten back to their early season form where they have the guards on the perimeter and Jay Crowder putting defensive pressure, and that's what's really catapulting this team. And they've been shooting the three ball better. So can they continue to be that defensive pressure team through the end of the season? Last year they did it, but the team kind of changed in the second half of last year, and Marcus Smart kind of got healthy in the after the new year last year. Um, and that, although that's basically what happened this year, right? So that's I guess that's how it's going to be for Marcus Smart's career. But the question is, can they maintain that momentum after the All-Star break last year, it was the spark of Isaiah Thomas that gave them this momentum. This year, they don't have any spark changes. It's just, it's as Jay Crowder said, they're one collective superstar out there. So can that collective superstar make the difference? That reminds me of, a, it's a little song um, I put together using those Jay Crowder comments that I, I think you'll, I think you'll really enjoy. I'm excited. I'm very excited for this one. There's a lot of talk about we need a superstar, stuff like that. But we just, uh, all five guys on the court are so locked in and so engaged. The four powers combined, I am one superstar. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. He's- 
I put way too much effort into that one goof, but that's basically what the what the what Danny Ainge and I guess the whole Celtics team is hoping for. They have really good locker room chemistry. The whole team really seems to enjoy each other's presence, and I think Jay Crowder also mentioned that press conference. They need to get back to playing the defense they uh, were playing, I think, about a month ago. They, as their offense seemed to get better and as they were scoring more points, they're also letting up more points. So it's it's really about returning to that defense of that lockdown top five defensive form if they're going to want to like make it deeper into the playoffs. Right now they're the three seed in the East, and I would definitely pick them in any first round matchup that they're going to face. The question is, do you think they can beat the Toronto Raptors in a potential second round series? Well, they only played the Raptors twice so far this year. The first was the first week of the season, which I don't think we can really read any thing into and then another time was in Toronto where uh, DeMar DeRozan just went absolutely crazy scoring about 35 points and was pretty much unstoppable and the Celtics still hung pretty close so right now is like could they actually make that Eastern Conference Finals and beat the Toronto Raptors in a series uh, they could be in the second round. Yeah, they could beat the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, it's, why not? They, they can beat anyone except uh, for the good teams. <laughs> the, the Raptors are, are a better team but they they can go toe to toe with them. There's no question. They about have Wizard it. Bradley. Stevens, I mean, of course, he can make some uh, in-game Captain adjustments. Planet, Captain Planet himself, yeah. I mean, I, I pick Brad Stevens over Dwayne Casey in a coaching battle, but Toronto, I mean, Toronto's a really good team. I, there's an outside shot they could have Damari Carroll back at that point, which really pushes it in favor of Toronto. I mean, they, they we ha- we haven't really seen much of them this year without Carroll. So, did Carroll get hurt against the uh, the Celtics? Was that that? game at the beginning of the season i think so i think think, yeah yeah. we were there for that one i remember you went down that was a bad one so hopefully he comes back in time for the playoffs because i can't that team with carroll is really exciting to watch so and they kept patrick patterson they didn't they didn't make that touch yeah another team that that stood pat at the deadline yeah so the raptors i i expect them to beat the celtics in the playoffs but it'll be a pretty close matchup the cleveland i mean the cleveland series is the only thing in the eastern conference i think where the celtics are truly outmatched and Chicago is always always has the potential to upend anybody with the talent that they have there. I think Chicago's a dumpster fire, and I think they actually have a risk of not making the playoffs. They have so many injuries, and I think even before what was it, Miritich had real complications with his appendectomy. They were lost about like eleven of their last fifteen or something. They were in a real tailspin. So I don't know if the Bulls. I mean, they, they do have Jimmy Butler, who's who's quite good at basketball, but I don't know if they're going to be able to put it together with all their injuries. But I would totally agree with you. I think it's a total crapshoot whether or not they can beat the Raptors. They definitely have the potential because we've seen that they can hang with any team. But in the end, they're even if they do that, they're just doomed to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I wouldn't say doomed because you never know. Although, actually, no, we do know because LeBron, literally everything that could have gone wrong with Cleveland except for LeBron going down went wrong, and they still went to the finals. They didn't even get a win over the uh, Cavs last year, and this year's team's much better, but if the Cavs at full strength really would destroy them. Although we'll see how good of a defensive game planner Ty Lue is because their game plan against the Celtics worked so well last year with Blatt, so we'll see what Ty Lue can bring. They'll just do the same thing. They're just going to copy it. So my main question is, do you think the Celtics should have made a bit move on the deadline to try to just, 
whether it's using a future pick or trading away a, a player, or like should they have traded Jared Solinger? Do you think that they made a mistake by not making some sort of small move to acquire more shooting? I don't think it's a mistake because right now they're top nine. They're all very good or above average, and it would be hard to bring in a player who's better than that. The thing is they have such great depth that to make kind of that marginal improvement, would it really be worth it? Are you really going to get a player out there who's that much better than Jared Sullinger? I just don't see, didn't see that move out there. There's no real fake trade that was proposed that made sense to me in terms of just acquiring kind of that bit person to score. The only deal that I really wanted to see them do was bring in Jared Dudley because I just like talking to him. And but I clearly the Wizards are not. We're never going to be in a position. They to were do that. buying. They they bought. A, the, they gave up a lot of asset or. A, a crucial first round pick asset, which is going to get sent to Phoenix. I don't know if we made that clear, and I think you probably know that by now. It's one through nine protected. They're sitting at the 12 seed as of recording, and they're probably going to go up if Morris works out. So that's they traded a lottery pick or a mid first round pick. And Margie I don't Morris. think there's many other teams that were sellers. We didn't see that many players. They could have gone out and tried to get overpaid for Ryan Anderson or Channing Fry, but. No, I don't think I don't think standing pat ultimately was the right decision if they couldn't land that blockbuster deal. And we saw that pretty much no crucial restricted free agents got traded, or really at free agents period. I mean, pretty much every team feels that with the increased salary cap, they're going to be able to just overpay for a guy. And we've mentioned it a few times here, but that's only a risk in that the salary cap is expected to decline after the pe- the spike peaks to 108 million two summers from now then it's going to probably go down another eight million which frankly if it goes down another eight million and you're going to have you know that's three years out and you're going to have contracts expiring by them you can still overpay a guy but ideally you want to pay a guy a negatively amortizing contract where he's getting paid up front more hold on hold on hold on what does the word amortizing mean Okay, putting it into an actual definition on the spot is tough, but basically amortization. Amortization. The amortization is the increase or negative amortization would be the decrease of payment on a pay per payment scale being an annual scale. So the, amort- the negative amortization would be that you're paying a guy heavier up front and then it's evenly declining year over year. Oh, front so Isaiah- versus back loaded contracts. There you go. So as you. a as a someone in the banking field, I, I uh, use a lot of uh, lingo that we don't use on sports talk very often. But it's like Isaiah Thomas's contract was front loaded, so his his numbers are decl- his a uh, payment is declining every year. It's gradually. negative amortizing. Did I use that correctly? Very, very good. I'm Damn very impressed. right. It's because it's, it's the suit you're wearing right now. Uh, yeah. I oh. wear suits to podcast because I'm important. So. So that's it. That's the Boston Celtics. They <laughs> have made nothing. At, they did nothing at the deadline. There was so much hype, and there were so many good trade ideas, and people were excited, and it was fun to bond with everyone on Twitter, but nothing happened. I refreshed my phone probably 85 times today between... 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. and was just very disappointed and did not pay that great attention in the meeting I was in. So um, thanks for that, uh, NBA. And I'm sure your bosses who are listening will thoroughly enjoy that. If my bosses ever listen to this podcast, I feel like I might have to have like a meeting about conduct outside of the workplace, but I'm not sure. All right. Well, we'll, we'll memorialize that on iTunes and Stitcher and WEI.com and CLNSradio.com. Or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us on those airwaves. If you grab the internet, dump jump up into the cloud and pull it down there, then that's how you listen to the podcast. You'll find it there. If you Um, somehow like find your way into the series of tubes. 
we're there. We're, we're in one of those tubes. Or a dump truck. All right, for uh, I, we got to end this. This is we've gotten patently absurd. Uh, for Jared Weiss, I am Sam Packer. Thank you for listening and join us next week when we can talk about actual basketball games instead of just random conjecture. Sounds good to me. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.